Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. So let's get started. Today, we're going to be studying the teaching of Jesus from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10, 7 through 10. We begin with the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym. SP stands for speaker. A stands for audience. C stands for context. And E, explanation. Jordan and I created this acronym to remind Bible students to think about who was speaking and to whom, what was happening at the time, and the theme and message of the verses leading up to the scripture reading. Both of us believe it's critical to consider these things before attempting to interpret scripture. So Jordan, let's use the space method here. Okay, so starting with SP, the speaker is Jesus Christ. That's fairly obvious. Um, If you go back to verse 7, it reads, Jesus said to them. Important to know that, you know, who is Jesus, really? And, and that's a, a key question. We should always keep in mind who Jesus is when we're listening or reading the words of Jesus. And Jesus is God himself. You know, uh, for most of you listening, we don't need to prove that. But just for a reminder, Jesus says the following in verse 30 of this very chapter, I and the Father are one. And that's just one scripture. There are many more. Um, the Gospel of John begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And of course, the Word is Jesus. Continuing in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And these proofs of Jesus' deity continue throughout the entire Gospel. Yep. I'm going to add John 5.18 to the mix of, of verses here, and it reads, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And also John 14, 7 reads, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And then also in verse 9, Jesus reiterates, He who has seen me has seen the father. And so on. So, of course, it comes down to faith. And if you believe the Bible, and you should realize then that the speaker in today's scripture is actually God himself. 
The audience is the Jewish people, particularly the Pharisees. Our scripture reading says them in verse 7. So who is them? To find out, you have to go back seven verses to chapter 9 and verse 40, which reads, Those of the Pharisees who were with him, him being Jesus, heard these things. So this teaching comes among several teachings that Jesus gave to the Pharisees and to the Jewish people who were, who were there, which again we will cover when we look at the context. But staying here for a moment, we must ask an important question, which is, is the audience saved or unsaved? What is their spiritual status? Well, Jordan, this is a critical question to answer when reading the Bible, because it is often the key to understanding the message of what you're reading. So here, the audience is God's chosen people, a nation under the old covenant with God. And as our old pastor Whipple used to say, they were, quote unquote, saved on the layaway plan. And as faithful Jews, their beliefs and their practices definitely foreshadowed the coming Messiah. Um, You could say they looked forward in faith, which is why the message to the Jews wasn't a message of belief per se, but it was a message more of repentance or turning back and then accepting Jesus was their Messiah. And, you know, earlier we said in our scripture today, um, what we said was Jesus was speaking to you, but that's not exactly right. Although, yeah, right. So although all scripture was written for Christians, these words today were spoken to the Jewish people at a time when the people were still under the law and the age of grace hadn't yet begun because Christ's blood had not yet been shed. However, there is something else critical to note as we get into the context of these verses. They appear in a parable and parables were spoken to the Jews, but with hidden meaning for Christ's followers. If you're confused, don't be. Let's go to Matthew 13, verse 10, and that reads, And the disciples came and said to him, Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And in verse 11, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. And then skipping to verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Verse 14, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. And then verse 16, which we can read as being spoken to us as well, Jesus says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So please keep in mind that as we get deeper into the meaning of our scripture today, the audience is the Jews, but the message will be encoded, if you will, with meaning for those of us who have the spiritual ears to hear it. The context is right after Jesus healed a man born physically blind, and then he used the opportunity to show the Pharisees that they were the ones that were actually spiritually blind. So let's look at a few examples here. The Gospel of John is a book of miracles. In chapter 2 of that book, Jesus turns water into wine during the wedding at Cana. In chapter 4, Jesus heals a nobleman's son. In chapter 5, he heals a man at Bethesda, who had been sick for 38 years. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then walks on water. And in chapter 9, the chapter before our scripture reading appears, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. So this created quite a controversy among the Jewish leaders. And first of all, the, the Pharisees said that Jesus could not be from God, according to their opinion, because he had healed on the Sabbath. But we know that didn't stick because a sinner wouldn't have performed such a miracle, of course. And And then eventually they claimed the man wasn't really blind at all. Right, but that didn't stick either because they found his parents, and his parents confirmed he had been born, in fact, born blind. 
Finally, they interrogated the former blind man himself, trying to prove he was lying. And that didn't stick because the man had good answers for everything. I mean, he gave them a, a theology lesson, and it, it's pretty funny. So let's go ahead and read it, Andy, if you would, uh, Judson, John 9. Sure, let me get to that. John 9, we'll pick up in verse 28, and it reads, They reviled him, the former blind man, that is, and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, meaning Jesus, we do not know where he is from. So the man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does God's will, God hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. So then he continues to say, if this man were not from God, then he could do nothing. And then the Pharisees answered back to the man, you were born entirely in sins, and yet you're teaching us? So then they put the man away. So they basically kicked him out because he was making too much sense. <laughs> exactly. And then this leads to Jesus finding the man and then the man confessing that Jesus is God and worshiping him, in fact. And the Pharisees are there when this happens, so Jesus turns this into a teachable moment. He says in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So the Pharisees hear him say that, and they ask, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus replies to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. And that was a big deal because, as implied earlier in the conversation between the Pharisees and the blind man, it was believed that blindness was caused by a man's sin or the sin of his parents. So it's really sort of an insult here to them. And, you know, Jesus turns that around and creates a lesson on spiritual blindness and spiritual sight, which connects with this concept of spiritual ears and eyes that we had mentioned earlier. So, Jordan, immediately after this, Jesus gives the parable of the Good Shepherd, which we know begins in chapter 10, right before our, our reading for this lesson. And I'll start in verse 1, and it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. And then comes our scripture reading, of course. So now that we know the speaker, Jordan, the audience, and the context of our scripture reading, I think we're ready to attempt an explanation today. Yeah, so let's hear it again, starting with verse 7. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So having given them the parable that they did not understand, Jesus gives them an explanation. He starts off by saying, Truly, truly, or a phrase that is sometimes also translated, Verily, verily. And I just want to pause for a second, Andy, because in the original Greek, this word is amen, which is going to sound familiar because that's right. He's saying amen or amen, amen. And we, you know, we use this word to end a prayer and to show agreement. Agreement, You know, someone says something and we say amen. But this word is of Hebrew origin and literally means so be it. So saying it first, as Jesus did, meant something slightly different. It's a strong claim to truth, but also, again, a claim of his divinity. He's essentially saying, what I'm, what I'm about to say is verified true straight from God because I am God. Yeah, and then, you know, moving from that 
particular note, he does use the I am metaphor for the third time in his gospel. Um, as you mentioned earlier, the phrase I am is significant because it is actually the name of God as we know it. If we go back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3, we see that Moses, he actually had his encounter with God at the burning bush. And then we know that God tells Moses that he will be his emissary to Pharaoh. And Moses has a lot of doubts and questions. And, and then we see one such question in God's answer in verse 13 to 14. And I'll read that really quick. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And in verse 14, God responds to Moses and he says, I am who I am. And then he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am is the one who sent you. Right. In Hebrew, this phrase I am is actually four letters known in theology as the tetragrammaton. Tetra means four and gramma means letter. So the four letters and those letters are, you know, transliterated, transliterated into English, Y-H-W-H. And when you add vowels to it, you get Yahweh. That, that name, by the way, was considered so sacred, Yahweh, that it should not be spoken. So scholars inserted the vowels from another Hebrew word, Adonai, meaning master or Lord, and got a word something like Yehovah, that in English becomes Jehovah. So now you know, Jehovah means I am, and Jesus used that phrase repeatedly in reference to himself. Yeah, so I mean, first I am metaphor that we find is in John chapter 6. And it's where Jesus says, quote, I am the bread of life and the bread that came down out of heaven, which is a type of the manna from the Old Testament. Right. The bread that ends hunger and gives eternal life. And we're talking about, you know, spiritually um, how it applies to us today. And then the second I am metaphor is in chapter eight and it's in verse 12. And this is where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And then, again, here we have that third one that I mentioned, the third I am metaphor, where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Yeah, he changes it from the parable in which he is the shepherd who enters by the door. And he'll pick that metaphor up again in verse 11 when he says, I am the good shepherd, the fourth I am metaphor. As for the sheep, he doesn't say who the sheep are, but we can use other scriptures to figure that out. For example, when Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 10, he first, quote, gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then he instructs them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Note that. And he says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah, so Jordan, the sheep are specifically Jews who follow Jesus, the great shepherd, and that means it's technically not correct to apply this verse's metaphor to people today who might be unsaved, and then eventually find Jesus. So we have to consider, you know, the type implies the person already belongs to God because they are called quote-unquote sheep, and then he calls them by name, meaning that they know his voice. And of course, we know this cannot describe a lost man. So in that, you know, in the point that I'm trying to make here, it suggests that there is predestination for Christians in general, and there's a ton of spiritual support for that. And you just go to Book of Romans, uh, chapter 8 and 9, and you could see that from Paul's perspective. And further proof as well is we see this type revisited in the end times after the church had been taken off the earth by the rapture in, in the book of Revelation. 
Yeah, and in Matthew 25, following the parable of the talents, Jesus prophesies that, quote, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are... Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the, front, from the foundation of the world. So yes, to your point, we see predestination there, and we also see this type revisited in the end times. So, you know, some people make the mistake of thinking that that passage I just read in Matthew 25 is about a judgment of Christians, but it can't be because the next verses are all about works, both good and bad. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, etc. And of course, verse 42, the opposite of that. I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink, etc. And to those goats, he says, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah, Jordan, so, you know, no, this is not a judgment of Christians at all because Christians are saved by faith, as we know, according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, not by works. So they never end up going into the lake of fire. That just is not biblical. So moving on, we see that this is a judgment of the second coming, which is after the church has already been raptured off the earth, and then the great tribulation has taken place. You know, this is um, what we know to be the judgment of the tribulation saints who are called sheep, if you will, because there are Jews who we learn in Revelation chapter 20 that they actually lose their heads for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. And then after the rapture, when the church age has ended, God will begin dealing with Israel again. That's when the time clock of Israel begins, the 70th week of Daniel, um, you know, if you look at prophecy from the Old Testament. But that's another lesson for another time. Right, so getting back to, the, to our topic, which is sheep, in our scripture reading, it's talking about the people of Israel, which is important to correctly interpret these scriptures. And lest there be any confusion, Jesus includes a little hint for us, that is to say, those who read this later during the church age, and this is really great, check it out, starting in verse 14 of John 10, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And here it is, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So he clarifies for us who he is talking about and also prophesies about the age of grace, the church age, when there would be no Jews or Gentiles in God's eyes, just one flock with one shepherd. John 10, 8 reads, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So Jesus uses the metaphor of a thief again, the one who in verse 1 climbs into the sheep's pen by some other way other than the door, which is Jesus. And then he also uses a word translated robber here, but that's better translated, but it's better translated as plunderer or marauder. So the nuance is that thieves are stealthy and they sneak in while a plunderer rob you openly and with violence. It's very interesting. And since the door is Jesus Christ, 
This refers to those who try to bypass Jesus, in other words, false teachers and false prophets. And I love that point. And Jesus says the true sheep did not hear or follow those people. Moving on to John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he repeats, I am the door. Two other key things. One, Jesus says the sheep have to enter through him, which supports the doctrine that Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus will say this directly in John 14, 6, which incidentally contains another I am statement. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Two, the word saved here is sozo in the future tense. That's Greek future tense. The word also means safe, which is interesting because many Bible teachers say the Jews were safe instead of saved to make a, a key distinction. Remember, Jesus Christ was speaking to the Jews who were already God's people. They were safe as a nation looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of God's promises. And also at the end of that verse, I just want to bring out one key point, Jordan, if you don't mind. The words that Jesus says, go out and find pasture. You know, what does that mean? And I think what we need to know is that salvation here that Jesus is talking about might be suggesting the soul salvation into the kingdom, not everlasting life. And that's where the chosen and faithful will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ and be allowed to come back with the Lord to in a glorified body to serve him during the thousand years on the earth. And pasture quite simply represents peace during that thousand years. Yeah, good point. That brings us to John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And you wanted to make a point about the ands there, Andy. Yeah, Jesus uses the metaphor of a thief the third time. He says these false teachers steal and kill. They steal the property of the Jews because they lead them down a path that will deprive them of their birthright and inheritance. They kill and destroy because their way leads to spiritual death and destruction, which Jesus contrasts with the spiritual life that he offers. This again, Jordan, you know, it connects with Jesus' first I am statement from the gospel. It says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And, and, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And live forever is one possible interpretation of the end of this verse. Have life and have it abundantly, I think, automatically suggests life in the millennial kingdom, not necessarily life on earth and that God's just going to give you the whole bowl of cherries, um, you know, just because you're a Christian, now life is great. No, his, his point is that in, in the next life and during the millennial kingdom, which is going to be on the earth during those thousand years, that, you know, if we focus on what he's saying and teaching and we abide and, and stick to the Lord, then yes, then we will have that abundant life. Yeah, the Greek supports you there, Andy, because the Greek word is parisas, which means over and above or super adding, which has to do with the mystery of the kingdom, right? As we said, the scripture reading comes out of a parable, and they always have deeper meaning for those with the spiritual ears to hear that meaning, and it's a kingdom meaning, right? Jesus doesn't mean spiritual life or salvation from spiritual death only, but also the possibility of abundant spiritual life, which, as you pointed out, indicates inheritance in the kingdom. Yeah, and then also, if, if we if we tried to plug it in the other way, then that would suggest that Jesus is saying, in order to maintain your salvation, you'd have to work for it or, right. or have to do some kind of labor, which we all know that Jesus, Jesus paid it all on the cross for us. Amen. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's 20mbs, as in minutebiblestudies.org. Our website has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account, and discussion forum, ways to support this ministry, and more. You can also sign up to receive an email whenever we upload a new Bible study. 
Our first email will even include a link to a special series titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. This eye-opening set of Bible lessons is our gift to you when you join our community. So be sure to visit us at 20mbs.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rates reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.